Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this morning is our first lesson, Deuteronomy 30, verses 9 to 14, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the book of Deuteronomy is divided into 34 chapters. Our reading today from chapter 30 comes at the very end of what is the longest and most important section of the book, 27 chapters, in which Moses, who is soon to be taken away from the Israelites in death, reviews the facts of the Lord's relationship with them as his people, lays out again God's law for them as given some 40 years earlier at Mount Sinai, and calls on the people most of whom were either children or not yet born when Israel escaped from Egypt, calls on them to commit themselves fully to the gracious covenant that the Lord had made with them through their fathers. And while it is Moses who speaks to the people, the words he speaks are those of the Holy Spirit. What is the first paragraph of our reading, verses 9 and 10? is a gracious reassurance that when the Israelites return to the Lord in repentance, after forsaking Him with sin, unbelief, and idolatry, which God knew they would do, and they did countless times through their history, that when they returned to the Lord with all their heart and all their soul, that the Lord would return to blessing them richly as he delighted to do. What is our second paragraph, verses 11 to 14, has a different character and purpose. Moses, inspired and directed by the Spirit, anticipates not just problems the people might have in keeping God's law, but the arguments and objections of both his audience and future readers and hearers of his appeal. And yes, even though these words were first spoken and recorded around 1400 B.C., they still answer the arguments and objections of people today. And what Moses does here, he does simply and succinctly. The truth that the Word is very near you puts our hearts and minds at ease and our lips and hands to work. So first, Moses addresses anyone who might hear or read the message of God's Word and say, oh, no, I, I appreciate what you're saying and everything, Lord, but that's just too hard. No, the answer comes, not at all. Certainly, this commandment that I am giving you today is not too difficult for you. The commandment Moses was referring to was the general one that, that sums up everything in the law and the covenant. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. What Jesus, when asked, said was the greatest of all the commandments. But the point the prophet was making here was not loving God is easy but that having the Word of the Lord makes clear what He expects of us, and even more importantly, 
makes clear that he equips and enables his people to do all that he calls his people to accomplish. There's a quote attributed to Mark Twain, who was definitely not known as a Christian, that makes Moses' point here in kind of a backwards way. He said, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. What God asks in His Word is simple. Devote yourself in every way to His will and to holiness, loving Him above all else. What people like Twain recognize is that trusting in the Lord and committing to do that simple thing means that there's no room for laziness or lethargy in living as a Christian. No do-as-I-please-but-still-claim-to-be-God's-child exception. No, decide for myself what in the Bible is worth believing and what isn't alternative. And no, everything's fine so long as I obey the rules I think I ought to obey option. So just as the Israelites Moses was speaking to might have compared the law of the Lord to the the worship of, of Egyptian or Canaanite idols and said, you know, those other gods ask a lot less of me. The Lord's way is too hard. So also, people today read and hear what the Bible has to say about things like sex and marriage, materialism, identity, life issues like abortion and euthanasia, greed, anger, selfishness, and pride, and and people complain, that's just too difficult, God. You're asking too much. But they've got it all backwards. What's truly difficult is trusting in your own heart, soul, and strength for wisdom, meaning, life, and salvation. Because that way involves endless struggle and ultimately futile labor. Sure, it's not easy to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Not as long as we have sinful flesh and live in a sinful world. But it's not that God's Word is unclear or hard to understand. It's that our flesh rebels precisely because it understands what the Lord calls us to be and to do. Well, if the Word is not too Difficult, maybe it's too distant to be of use. The time of the Exodus was hardly the age of mass market paperback Bibles, let alone Kindle or audiobook versions. It would have been easy for an Israelite to say something like, Well, who can really know what the Lord has to say anyway? We don't exactly each have a, a scroll with his words in it. So So unless someone goes and and finds where God is His Word hidden and and brings it to us, there's really no point in our even trying to follow it. How could we ever really know what He wanted for us? And in a similar way today, despite the abundance of Bibles and, and the ease of getting and reading one, people still reason that God's real words and will are inaccessible, that the Bible is not enough, or that it's even to be ignored, and and that what's needed is some kind of new and special revelation coming straight to us from heaven. 
And if that's not coming, then we might as well act as though God has nothing to say and we're on our own. But God's word is not distant at all. It wasn't for the Israelites under Moses, and it isn't for you and me either. It is very near you. Now, for most of us here today, we we can say that that is physically true. We have one or more Bibles in our home that, that we can reach for, open, and read at any time. And anyone with a smartphone has access to the Scriptures just by reaching into his or her pocket or purse. But the more important way that this is true, that God's Word is very near, is that you have it in your mouth and in your heart, in your memory, on your lips, always with you to take along wherever you go and and to have whatever happens. The Israelites would have been taught the Word by Moses and Aaron and by their fathers and grandfathers. They would have learned it not just to to check off a box or or pass a test, but, but to have it permanently fixed in their minds. You have read the Word yourself in the Bible and taken it in, but you have also heard it read and preached in worship. Perhaps had it taught to you in Sunday school and around the kitchen table or at your bedside as a child. A catechism or instruction class laid out all the most important truths that Scripture teaches and gave you a foundation for a life of repentance and faith in Jesus. And every week we review those truths when we recite the creeds. So no, there is nothing at all distant about the words and will of God. You have it right where you need it. And you know where to get more. The Lord planned it this way so that you would always have His Word with you to guide and comfort you and to strengthen your faith. It's not because he is some cosmic killjoy or divine dictator desiring only to control us by constantly reminding us of his rules. No. Holy Spirit puts his word very near because God is determined to bless you. That's what a loving father is and does. The first paragraph of our reading makes clear that there is nothing grudging or unwanted about His blessing His people Israel after they repent of their rebellion and return to Him in faith. Instead, He rejoices over them and delights in blessing them over and over again. And the same is true with His people today. The Lord our God is a loving God showing mercy without limits to sinners, rebels, liars, mockers, traitors, and egotists. He forgives our sins. Sins of pride and selfishness. Sins of the flesh and sins of the mind. Sins that are all about breaking out of the boundaries His law sets and sins that presume to redraw those boundaries to our liking. Sins that are just between Him and us and sins that are against other people, whether we hurt strangers or spouses or simply fail to love a brother or a neighbor as we love ourselves. 
God is not satisfied only to take away all our offenses and guilt. He goes far, far beyond and gives us righteousness enough to join Him in heaven and eternal life to live there. And though His grace, love, and kindness are without limits, they are not without cost to Him. None of the acts of obedience that His law demands are required of us as payment for our sins because we could never do anything even close to enough. But more importantly, because the Son of God has already done everything for us. That is why the Lord could be so generous with His mercy to His people Israel, even after their repeated rejection of His worship and lordship and their frequent falls into idolatry. And that is why we can begin every service here with the assurance of absolution for every believer confessing his or her sins. What Jesus did, He did for every sinner of every time and every place, those who lived before Him and those who live after. His suffering and death on the cross is the center point of all history because it secured salvation for every soul. Everyone who repents and puts his or her trust in Christ has forgiveness, redemption, and eternal life. All those blessings, countless more, are yours and mine. And they are both announced in and given to us through the Word of the Lord, which we have in the Bible. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper also put this Gospel, the message of restoration, love, and life in Jesus. They put it very near to us by washing and claiming us individually and by giving us Christ's own body and blood given and shed for us to eat and to drink. And with this abundance of grace and good news, we are not only enabled to do all the things which God's law calls us to do, which we could not do while we were still in our sin, but we are also excited now and eager to get to work doing those things to get to work loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and mind, and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, as today's parable of the Good Samaritan illustrated. And God will bless us, just as He has promised His people of every time and place. Yes, some He may make wealthy and prosperous, but others He will make rich with friends or family, with, with joy or purpose. And most of all, He will cause us to truly overflow with good things when Christ brings us home to live with Him in paradise at the end of this life and world. God has promised all of this. 
And we know that we can count on that promise because He kept the most important promise of all. Promise to rescue us from the domain of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The Father sent Jesus to save us from our sins and He did. This Word of the Lord is all good for us, for all of us, for all of our lives. And it is very near you to obey, to treasure, to use, and to share. Alleluia. Amen. Please rise. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.